0: good morning. Man, this is so weird. All right, I'm going to put my glasses on. I can't wear my mask and my glasses. I have to pick which one I'm going to wear. I'm either going to protect my uh, myself and protect you or be able to see. So in the next few minutes, it's probably important that I need to be able to see. So I'm going sans mask, at least for the message. Um, first of all, I thank y'all for braving this. I know it's uh, It's strange, Uh, it's going to be weird for y'all in the next few minutes as we wear masks. And some of you have been wearing masks, you know, pretty much through and through, and others of you just with this uh, last decision from the governor uh, is kind of like, okay, well, I think we need to do this. So one of the things that I've been thinking about, um, one of the things that's been on our minds as a church has been the thought we want to be a good neighbor, and the way to be a good neighbor in this season is to be very selective and careful about how, and how we gather and the measures that we take. And this, I think, you know, the wearing a mask thing actually looks like it's being a good neighbor uh, and that we're protecting others. It's uh, more so about protecting others than protecting ourselves. So that's, um, you know, there are folks that are in different spots on that, and some are quite troubled at the notion of uh, rights being infringed upon and things like that. Just to encourage you as Christian brothers and sisters, our, we should hold really loosely to our rights in the first place. I mean, we're citizens of a different kingdom. Aaron pointed it out this morning, and it is an awesome kingdom. And um, just that citizenship should give us lots of margin in the world that we live in um, to be malleable. And um, uh, it's just an encouragement. I, it's not a hill I want to die on. I know folks have different views on that, but uh, that's at least um, just kind of a pastorly encouragement. Uh, we're going to pray for another church in our community uh, in the next few minutes. We're going to pray for grace. Um, uh, fellowship. Uh, Scott Sutton, one of our former pastors, is is serving as an interim at Grace and we want to pray for Scott and Lindsay and pray for their uh, time there and pray for this church as they're going through a season of looking for a new pastor. Uh, that is, um, I mean, I cannot imagine that the, I've been part of a church growing up that was looking for a new pastor and I know the the, the rigors of that, the challenges of that are are profound and um, praying for a search committee and praying for the church as they're trying to make sense of all that and navigate their way forward. Uh, Let's pray. Let's commit to praying for grace in this season. Let's commit to praying for uh, Scott and Lindsay, uh, praying for the other leadership, existing leadership of grace, uh, that uh, God would bless them, uh, that they would connect to those who don't know the Lord. Uh, That should be something that we are pining for in all of our local churches. Connect to those who don't know the Lord. That's going to come up later on in the morning. But let's be conscious and and intentional about praying toward that in the next few minutes. We're also going to pray for a people group, the Kohiri people of India. They're Hindu uh, people, 8 million strong, 0.00% believers. 8 million strong, not a recorded believer among them. Christian believer. Man, that's something for us to lift up right now in the next few minutes. Part of what we're doing when we lift that up, when we lift up a people group, is we're also praying, Lord, who will go? Who will you make so uncomfortable here that they have to go, that they can't stay here any longer? It could be one of y'all. That's something we can pray about. It could be someone that's, that's connected uh, to us online. Uh, these next few minutes, so let's pray along those lines. Let's pray for our our folks who are sick or um, um, recovering from sickness. Uh, lots of things to lift up there. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful to have these few minutes together. We're thankful that masks or no masks, uh, virus or no virus, um, trouble times or not, that you are with us. Uh, You're in our presence right now. You are with those who are joining us online. Uh, You have connected us together in these next few minutes as we sit together around your word, as we hear from our Lord. Lord, what you have done to bind us together as a people is so profound that it can't be challenged. It can't be uh, broken. Uh, It's something that is so true that we count it right now in ultimate reality even though we are displaced even though we're doing things that are different seating in different sitting in different ways and wearing masks and taking measures to protect one another lord we are thankful that you have not changed what a great reminder this morning we are part of a kingdom that is advancing that is moving forward that is wonderful that's eternal I pray that will condition these next few minutes that we spend together. Lord, we also want to pray for one of our uh, sister churches in our community. We want to pray pray for Grace Fellowship and just lift them up right now in this season where they are looking for a new pastor, where they are walking through, navigating a a season of um, um, changes uh, as they're searching for who you would have pastor their church. Lord, we pray that you would use Scott, that you would use the time that You have shaped him and grown him to be a herald of the good news. uh, That he would equip the saints there for the work of service and for the ministry and the community and to be salty, bright, and aromatic as the people of God in Greenville. Lord, we pray that you would bless him, that you would bless their family as they are serving grace in this time. Lord, we pray that grace would connect to folks that don't know you. Lord, may that be our goal always. Guard us from being about swapping members. Lord, burden us with this community full of people that don't know you or aren't walking with you and a people. And pray that grace would have a wonderful connection to those that aren't walking with a people. Lord, also this morning, I want to lift up a people group, the Kohiri people of India. Lord, you know every single person of that eight million people group. You know, their worries, their fears, you know, their struggles, you know, their dreams, you know, the questions they have at night, the questions that they have during the day as they look in the mirror, you know, the things that they're searching for as they go about their day, the struggles that they're facing. Lord, we beg you that you would break in, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God would break in to the Koeri people of India. I would pray that you would stir them with visions and dreams. That there would be people among them that would ache to know who their creator is, that would see the bankruptcy of the Hindu religion, and that they would look for you and that you would connect that dot to people that you have sent burdened men and women who can't stay here. I would pray that you would send workers to the far corners of the field and sow good seed. And draw people into our kingdom, your kingdom, brothers and sisters in Christ, from this people group, the Kohiri people. Lord, we are entrusting this people group to you. I'm thankful that you are always at work, and your kingdom is always moving. Lord, we want to pray also for those who are sick uh, in our community, with these uh, not just uh, virus cases, but uh, folks that are dealing with cancer, they're dealing with uh, all manner of sickness. Lord, we just want to lift up our brothers and sisters. We want to lift up our community. Uh, It's in such a strange time, and we just pray that you would be uh, glorified somehow, that people would come to know you through this trial. Lord, we pray that those who are struggling with sickness, uh, that you would keep them safe, that you would heal them, Lord, that you would give a a vaccine or a remedy or a treatment uh, for this uh, virus in the very near future. Uh, Lord, we ask for something as simple as just good medicine and good science, and sooner rather than later. We pray for those who are immuno-challenged, who are dealing with uh, maybe the concerns and fears and worries of exposure to the coronavirus. Lord, we pray that you would uh, just guard them, protect them, and keep them safe, keep them healthy. I would pray for those among us that are dealing with um, cancer treatment, um, San Filippo all manner of things, Lord. Uh, We just entrust this people to you, uh, a frail, feeble, human bunch that um, need you every day. We need you in these next few minutes, and we're thankful that you're here among us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can turn to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. We're in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for almost a year. It's funny, isn't it? It'll be a year in August that we've just been in the Sermon on the Mount. We're not even talking about Matthew. Just this three-chapter-long Sermon on the Mount. And I'll tell you right now, it's been troubling for me. I think we've used the term early on as we climbed into the Sermon on the Mount that, that this would interrupt us, and I confess to be incredibly interrupted. As I'm engaging this Sermon on the Mount from week to week, and maybe you've experienced this too, I feel like I've been standing in front of a mirror. You know, if you don't have a mirror, you don't really have to deal with what you look like. You know, if you've gone camping, you know, you're in the woods or you're hiking or something, and then you get in front of the mirror, you go, whoa, man, (laughs) I didn't realize how bad I looked. I feel like for the last year or so, we've been standing in front of this mirror called the Sermon on the Mount, and I've seen personally... A real up close and honest reflection. I've seen a couple of things. I've seen what what we're supposed to look like as a follower of Christ. And then I've seen Ben. And by the way, I've also seen you. I've seen us. And I've had to reckon personally with this disparity between me and this thing. I've had to reckon with the disparity between you and us, even as a people, being really honest and what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. I'm encouraged in some sense to know that we join a host of witnesses, a cloud of witnesses who also were interrupted by the Sermon on the Mount, who we could say were decreated, who were undone by the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon has devastated the saints for a couple thousand years. In a good way. <laughs> but I don't know of anyone that hasn't dealt honestly with this Sermon on the Mount. That hasn't walked away going, man, is this is what it looks like to follow Christ? Wow. I know I've got this thing going on within me that I believe is true, that I believe is sure. Yet I see this thing out here and I go, oh, God, you've got a lot to do yet on me. You've got a lot yet to do on this people. It reminds me of the father that was, uh, his son was healed and he spoke to Christ and he said, I believe, yet help my unbelief. I've got this thing in me that I know is true, yet I need help. I've got these places in me that I know that are faith-fueled places and experiences and movements, yet I see this frontier out there that is uncharted where it's just like Comanches running wild, (laughs) raids and riots. And Lord, I need you to invade those spaces. Man, I hope that we've all experienced that to some degree as we've been on this in the Sermon on the Mount, this disparity between what it says a follower of Christ looks like and an honest dealing with where we actually are. So this disparity... It's troubling. It's hard to know what we're supposed to do with this thing. Do we just live with it? Do we just leave in a decreated place? Do we just leave week after week interrupted? Do we just leave disassembled? How are we supposed to deal with this disparity? I think this morning we're on good ground to find some answers. This morning, ironically, we're in this sermon, in the heart of the heart of the sermon, that is leaving us disassembled, and we're going to find some good help from our Lord as he teaches us to pray. Stand with me, if you would, as we read from his word in Matthew chapter 6. He's teaching us and teaching followers of Christ to talk to our Heavenly Father about this disparity, this disconnect. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, speak to us today in this disparity. Speak to a room full of honest brokers this morning. Speak to folks who are connecting to us online in dens, kitchens, Speak to people who are feeling this disconnect between something that is already broken in, yet is so not yet. Help us this morning, Lord, from this simple teaching on prayer. We entrust this time to you. We lay ourselves bare and open. Help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Today we're considering the second of six petitions. There are six petitions in the prayer. There's seven, depending on how you number them, but I'm going to go with six. And we're considering, this is the third Sunday that we're investing in the second, in the second petition. Just three words, your kingdom come. Something that's very difficult to bring out. We can't bring out from just the English, English language right in front of us. The Greek mood in the original language, is an imperative mood. It is the sense of a cry. It is the sense uh, almost like this. Pray then. If you could imagine being on that hillside that day as Jesus preaches on the mountain, it would be almost like Jesus turning to everyone and saying, okay, pray then like this. Your kingdom come, please. That's the sense and the mood and the tone of this part and this petition of this prayer. It's almost like a groan. Keep your finger in Matthew 5, and then if you would, just flip over with me, because this is going to be a passage I want you to refer to, that we'll refer to at the end of the morning in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want to give you an image that I think will carry us through the morning, and it's going to help us as we land the plane at the end of the morning. Romans chapter 8, I'm using that word on purpose, a groan. It's almost the spirit of this prayer. Your kingdom come is almost the mood of a groan. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 22, says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We're going to discuss that more at the very end of the morning. But just imagine an earth and all creation groaning. Imagine waves crashing on seashores as a groan, as trees swaying in the woods as a groan. Just carry that forward and then consider this next passage. And not only creation is groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, it's almost like the groan of a father who's saying, "I believe, help my unbelief." I know this kingdom is broken in in me, yet help those spaces, and those frontiers, and those badlands where it hasn't yet broken in. I'm groaning as I call out in prayer: this burdened cry, "Your kingdom." come. Creation groans, and we join creation when we groan with her, pining for his kingdom to come. I think that inward groan is the disconnect of of, of what we feel between what we want to be and what we know we actually are. A burdened groaning. Turn back to Matthew chapter 6. It's a burdened, groaning request to our Heavenly Father to act. The second petition, it's connecting the fact that those verbs answering that prayer have to do with our God acting. They're not our verbs. God is the one that has to answer this prayer. This verb, this response belongs to Him. Your kingdom come is like saying, Father, usher in the rest of the kingdom. Turn the not yet into the already, both within and without. Turn the not yet into the already, please. There really should be no surprise that the kingdom is mentioned in this basic teaching on prayer. It really shouldn't surprise us because the Gospels are saturated with conversation about kingdom. I shared this a couple of weeks ago when our first consideration of the kingdom come, that second petition. The kingdom is mentioned 116 times in the Gospels. 52 of those times are mentioned in Matthew. Matthew is especially about the kingdom. Matthew clearly has an agenda to discuss and consider this kingdom. And if we know who's really behind the Gospels, we know that our Lord has an agenda. And his kingdom is apparently very important To him, it populated all of his teachings, most of his parables. If not, you could almost say all of them have to do with kingdom. In fact, there's an entire chapter in the book of Matthew that's dedicated to parables about the nature of the kingdom. So we're going to spend the next few minutes in Matthew chapter 13, in this very chapter, to try and make sense of what we're actually asking for when we cry out that groaning cry your kingdom come. So turn to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at three parables. We're just going to do a little sampling. Okay, None of them we are going to go really deep. In fact, I don't, want to, I don't want to preach now what we're going to consider later, which is really going to be pretty awesome when we get there. Matthew chapter 13. There are eight parables in Matthew chapter 13. Uh, almost seven, the eighth is a little bit, uh, I'm not quite sure it's a parable, but I think it is. But of the eight, three of them are where we're going to consider this morning. Okay, We're just going to read them. Two of them have explanations. The third, the explanation is just sort of implied. Okay, So the first one we're going to consider is the sower, the seed, and the soils. The second we're going to consider is the wheat and the tares. And the third we're going to consider is the net, the net and the gathering of fish. Okay. And the reason we're doing this is to try and figure out what we're actually praying, what we're actually asking for. When we cry out with this burdened cry, your kingdom come. Okay, so here's the first of the three. Beginning in Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. I want to encourage you to look for some things that are shared between these three parables. Okay, just kind of take a bird's eye view. And look at the things that are shared between the three parables. I'm going to help you with that, but you can get a jump start on what we're going to gather up out of these three parables. Here's the first one. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Let him hear. Here's his explanation of that parable right across the page in verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Let me help you kind of gather up just a few things from this first parable. We're going to kind of connect the dots in the three. But sort of an aerial view of this parable, we're talking about a sower. We're talking about a seed that is a message we could call it good news. It's the good news message. And then these various types of soil. A sower, a seed, and some soils. There are four types of soil. There's a hard path. Which is a hard-packed ground where the seed falls and it doesn't find purchase. And there's an agent on site then called Satan that comes and snatches that seed up. It never finds purchase, never bears fruit. The second kind of seed... Or the second kind of soil is where the seed lands on shallow, rocky ground. And persecution or tribulation of some kind, of various kinds, comes, and it doesn't have deep roots, so it doesn't doesn't survive, and it's scorched, and it dies. The third kind of soil is the thorny soil, the weedy soil, where the seed finds purchase, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke out the plant, and it never bears fruit, and it doesn't endure. And then the fourth kind of soil is good, rich, dark, loamy soil. Free of weeds, free of rocks, where the seed finds purchase and it bears fruit. 10, 20, 30 fold. Something that you can see here is in this case, some receive this seed, some reject it. Some receive this seed temporarily and then through tribulation, Are the cares of the world, are deceitfulness of riches, it doesn't survive. But some receive this seed and some bear fruit. And some things that you can draw out of here is there's a sowing, there's a harvest, and there's an enemy. A sowing, a harvest, and an enemy. Okay, here's the second parable. I told you we're taking bird's eye view, aerial view. Here's the second parable, the parable of the weeds, beginning in verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? He said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first And bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Right across the page, there's a short and beautiful explanation of this parable, beginning in verse 37. The one who sows good seed is the son of man. In this case, he's not sowing a message. In this case, he's sowing human beings. He's sowing people. Listen to the, the, the imagery, the metaphor changes in this second parable. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. And the weeds, in this case, are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Let him hear. That's the second time we've heard that phrase this morning. What a beautiful chapter when our Lord is saying, he who has ears, let him hear. If you're hearing this morning, you can celebrate that right now, that you're having ears to hear. Some of the things that come out of this simple parable, well, we've got a sower in this case. But in this case, instead of sowing a message, he's sowing people. He's sowing human human beings. And we have, again, yet an enemy who is sowing Weeds. So, aerial view, the things we can draw it is a harvest. There's also a harvest in this parable. There's a sorting, and there is an enemy. A lot in common with these first two parables. Now, let's look at this third one. It's very brief. Right across the page, the parable of the net, beginning in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish. Of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some things we can draw out of this simple parable is instead of a sower in this case, we're talking about fishermen. We're talking about a net that's gathering up all kinds of fish. There's a gathering in this place. Instead of a harvest, it's a gathering and a catch, a net full. In this case, there's also a sorting. The only thing missing from this parable that's not in the others is we don't see the agent, the enemy at work in this particular parable. But in these three parables, we see some real common threads. As we're trying to make sense of what we're actually asking for when we cry out, Lord, your Father, your kingdom come. This little sampling can give us some clues. A couple weeks ago, for the first time, we defined the kingdom of heaven as the rule of God in the hearts of man, man including men and women. The rule of God in the hearts of man. That is a great definition for the kingdom of God. But here's something that we can connect when we, when we take in sort of this sampling from just these three simple parables. It's the rule of God in the hearts of man, but it's not just our hearts. It's not just the hearts of those in this room and those that are connected to us online right now. It's not just the hearts of those in Crosspoint Fellowship, but also those who don't know him. The kingdom of heaven isn't just about you. The kingdom of heaven is about this thing that's ongoing, this thing that's advancing, this thing that involves a sowing, that involves a gathering, that involves a reaping, that involves a catching, a gathering venture. And it also involves a wily agent on the other end doing every single thing that he can possibly do to foil every one of those efforts. Am I right? Man, the kingdom of God is a growing gathering of people, one through the sowing of his word and the sowing of his people in the world, maybe even to India, like we prayed this morning, and the drawing of a net cast. In all corners of the sea. What are we asking for when we pray, Your kingdom come? And this ought to give us some insight. We're praying for this gathering, harvesting, sowing, sorting venture to march forward. Everyone in this room, as far as I know, now I may not know every single person in this room, but I know most of you. And I believe that I um, can account for the faith of most of those in this room that you already know the Lord. So I can say for the most of us, the large part of us, we're a product of this kingdom venture. And Before we even consider what we're praying for a moment, let's just stop and consider. We are a product of the very kingdom venture that we're talking about, the sowing Harvesting, gathering, venture. Someone, somewhere, shared with some of us. Or someone, someone, somewhere, shared with one of our family family members, our father, our mother, our grandparent. Someone, somewhere, at some point, made this burden that belongs to the Lord, their burden, and made it personal with you or your family member on their heart. Man, let's just stop and consider for a moment that we are a product of this kingdom venture. Someone made the rule of God in the hearts of men their own burden, and they made it personal. And they made you or your family member personal. Some of you are first-generation believers in this room. (sighs) Some of you are from a long heritage of believers. But someone somewhere made the rule of God in the hearts of men a burden, a personal burden and put you or your family member on their mind or on their heart. God used someone to win you. God used someone to gather you. God used someone to draw you, to catch you in his net. And he did it with the very same seed that's given life to the dead for 2,000 years. Man, if that's not stirring to you, recognizing what bonds us, what binds us, Not only to one another, but to 2,000 years worth of saints. It's the very same seed that's been sown for 2,000 years. So when we're asking for his kingdom to come in prayer, when we're groaning that prayer, when we're crying out to him, we're asking him to gather his fish. Keep gathering We're asking him to draw in that net. We're asking him to sow good seed on fruit-bearing soil. We're asking him to sow the saints into the world. When we pray those three words, your kingdom come, we're praying a lot. And we have to consider this facet of what we're praying is very much about sowing, gathering, harvesting. Reaping. It's interesting to me as we've been in this series on prayer, as we're just considering this prayer that most of us have memorized, a lot of us have memorized by now, maybe as, even as a child, how balanced the prayer is. Contrast that with how imbalanced our prayers could be. What's easy for me in prayer is to bring to the Lord what's important to me. Can you all relate to this? I mean, I think that's natural, right? I mean, we, we already know what's important to us, so we bring that to our Heavenly Father. We know of someone who's sick. We know of someone who's looking, uh, searching for a job. We know when someone who's struggling with something. So we bring those things that are important to Him that are important to us. We bring the things that are important to us to Him. It's natural. And He wants us to do that as a good Heavenly Father, just like the good fathers in this room do with your children. You want to know what's important to your children. But this little insight into his prayer and his teaching on prayer shows us what a balanced prayer looks like. We're not only bringing what's important to us to him, but we bring what's important to him to him. And this is clearly important to him. This kingdom gathering and sowing and harvesting and reaping and sorting is clearly important to him. It's so important to him that the Lord spoke about it all the time, all over the Gospels. It's so important to him that these these parables are saturated with this notion of this kingdom moving forward like leaven or a mustard seed growing. Man, this is important to him. So balanced prayer 101 means that our prayers should be populated not only with what's important to us, but what's important to him. And this clearly is your Kingdom come. It's important enough that God the Son taught his followers to ask for this thing to continue. It's important enough for the rule of God in the hearts of men to advance that he taught us to pray for it. So, the takeaways this morning just three takeaways to encourage you with, and they're really simple. It's not rocket surgery. Here's the first takeaway. Pray for his kingdom to come. Balance your prayers. Bring to him what's important to you, absolutely. But bring to him what's important to him also. You want to think just relationally. The kind of relationships, the kind of friendships, the kind of parent-child relationships that you have, the ones that are really rich are the ones that involve not only where you're expressing what's important to you, but also what you're connecting to and the other person that's important to them. You know, we're talking about a heavenly, real, actual being that we're communicating with in prayer. So bringing to him what's important to him has got to be a blessing for him. And it's going to bless you as you bring to him what's important to him. What I'm encouraging you to do is Pray for his kingdom to come. Balanced prayers aren't just populated with what's important to us. But they're also filled with what's important to him. Pray for his kingdom to come. For his reign and his rule in the hearts of those who don't know him. You could pray this week for the Kiori people of India. You know how many people we're talking about? You know how lost they are. You can gather over lunches today. And fathers, let me challenge you right now. You can show your children and your families what it looks like to obey Jesus over lunch today. As you pray for his kingdom to come among the Coiri people. If you're like, nah, I'm not going to bother with doing that because Ben said it. If you're going to reject it because you don't want your kids to look like you're just going to follow Ben. Whose teaching is this Are we talking about this morning? We're all sitting at the feet of Jesus this morning, and he's saying, Pray then this way, fathers, husbands, mothers, parents. Pray then this way. Populate your prayers with what's important to him and pray that his kingdom would come. Just keep it simple. Don't make it rocket surgery. Keep it simple and show your family what it looks like to obey Jesus. And just do it. Just do it. Just pray for his kingdom to come. And let me kind of help you refine that. Pray for local churches to grow. Pray for his kingdom to advance. And pray that local churches don't caught in the trap of just measuring growth by transfer growth from other churches. Christy and I came to Greenville 17 years ago. We came as North American Mission Board missionaries. Some of y'all didn't know that. Probably most of y'all didn't know that. Crosspoint was planted by missionaries in a community that's saturated with churches. The reason we came, okay, it's the worst business model in the world. If you're an insurance guy, you're not going to move to a community with, in our case, 98 Christian churches in Greenville already. 98 insurance companies in in Greenville already. No, I'm going to look for a place where it's not there already. The reason we came is because a community with 98 Christian churches was connecting to about 3 to 5% of our community. We live in a community that we have described as a church and others have agreed that we could call churchless Christianity. We live in a community that our field is, I think it's even harder than lostness. I think it's a lostness that thinks they're found. Because they had some experience at some point decades ago at a VBS. But they have no living relationship with the Lord at all. They have no appetite for the things of God. They're not walking with the people and they have no interest in it at all. But they would testify that, hey, me and God, we're square. Because I prayed a prayer at VBS 40 years ago. Man, pray for his kingdom to come in our community. Pray for his kingdom to come right here in this field. We're in a mission field right here. And pray that we're not just about transfer growth, swapping members. That's not growth, people. That's not growth. That's not growth. Is that a bad thing? Absolutely not. If someone joins your church from an existing church, that's not a bad thing. If someone leaves our church and goes to an existing church, that's not a bad thing. In fact, that could be something we can celebrate. It gives more room for seating and parking for us for those that aren't part of a local church, like 95 to 97% of our community. When we pray for his kingdom to come, that should be our burden for a community of people that don't know him and aren't walking with him. That's our target. That's what we're praying for, for his kingdom to come, for the rule of God in the hearts of men to break in to 95% of our community. And that we could be part of it. That's the first thing. Pray for his kingdom to come. The second thing is be ready to be changed as you pray. I started the morning with just sort of this confession, this sharing, this dealing with this disparity between what I see and hear and what I see in the word is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. This disparity, this sort of this groaning that fuels that cry, I believe, help my unbelief kind of cry. I know this kingdom is broken in here, but yet it's still, I see these outposts and these badlands that have not been civilized. As you pray for his kingdom to come, I can promise you this. Something happens in prayer when you pray about what's important to him. It becomes important to you. That's why I want you to just do the first thing. I'm promising you, this is a promise in the second point here. Just do the first thing and pray for his kingdom to come. Start saturating your prayers with that. Praying for people groups. Praying for workmates. Praying for friends. Praying for neighbors that aren't part of a people. That don't know him or aren't walking with the people. Or think they're saved but they have no signs that they have, are walking with him at all. Your workmates. The people you go to work with. Realize you've been sown into that field. If you believe the wheat and tares parable, you've been sown into that context. And even if you don't have a burden for those people right now, start praying your kingdom come, Lord, your kingdom come, Lord, your kingdom come, pray it over lunch, pray it over dinner, pray when you go to bed, pray when you come, your kingdom come, Lord. And you're going to start to have eyes for those opportunities. You're going to start to have words for those occasions where you can begin to speak into those people's lives with the good news and the seed that's won the saint for 2000 years. So just start praying, but be ready. He's going to make what's important to him important to you. So just be ready for that. Pray that his kingdom would break in and that his net would gather up your family members and your friends who don't know him. And I guarantee as a result of that that he will make what he called his first followers. He'll make you a fisher of men. That's what he called his first followers, fishers of men. And here's the third thing. Be ready for resistance. Okay, pray your kingdom come. Be ready for change as you pray. And the third thing, be ready for resistance. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial like something strange is happening to you. Two of the three parables that we've considered already have to do with this agent that's actively working to foil this kingdom venture. Are we surprised when that happens? Why should we be surprised? We have an active agent that is doing all he can to work against this venture. Don't be surprised when Satan does all he can to discourage you in the work. Don't be surprised when he works to embroil God's people in conflict and drama and discord so that we won't be about what we're supposed to be about. (laughs) Why would we be surprised when he does that? He's had 2,000 years of practice at it. He has our number. He knows exactly how to occupy us with the things that don't involve the kingdom. He knows precisely how to foster discord. He knows exactly how to remind us of all the things that we've all ever done wrong so that we're not focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. So don't be surprised when the enemy does all he can to foil this venture. Don't be surprised when you face resistance. This Satan, he is an accuser, he's active, he doesn't sleep, and he's got an army at his disposal and he will do all he can to foil this venture. Am I right? (laughs) We know he does. It's part and parcel to kingdom work, this side of Christ's return. You know what? If we as a church 17 years into being a church in this community had never experienced attacks from Satan, you would have to wonder if we were any threat to darkness at all. If we always had the wind to our back, fair winds and following seas, everything we put our hand to went our way, you'd have to wonder if this passage was even true. <laughs> all those parables don't apply to us. <laughs> uh, the nature of the kingdom applies to other people, not us. And don't be surprised when Satan does all he can to foil the work. He hates the work. He hates the rule of God in the hearts of men. He hates the notion of 95% of our community being targeted, being prayed for, being sought. He hates the notion of saints being sent into the world to be salty, bright, and aromatic. He hates that idea. He'll do everything he can to discourage that work. And he doesn't sleep. It's part and parcel the kingdom work, this side of Christ's return. I'm going to summarize our passage this morning back in Romans chapter 8. I told you, I began our passage there. I'd like for you to turn there. I really want you to see this. It's such a treasure. Romans chapter 8. I'll give you a moment to get over there. It's where I introduced the, the idea of a groaning creation and that we groan inwardly Okay. I read a couple passages, verses 22 and 23. Let me back up and I'm going to help you see why creation's groaning. Why the waves crashing and the trees swaying are groaning. Look in verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is just sitting around going, man, Jessica, please sow with people that you come in contact with. We're cheering for you. The waves are crashing, saying, Robert, please share with those that you have an opportunity to share with. The trees are swaying, saying, please share with those firemen that you work with. We're cheering for you, so that creation will be redeemed. Creation is cheering for us. The waves crashing, are saying, please sow, please harvest, please gather, please be about what's important to him so that Jesus will come back and we'll all be redeemed. All creation is cheering for us. Creation is indeed groaning, and it's anxiously awaiting the revelation of the sons of men. Will you please be about the work that he's put you to, people of God, so that we can all be redeemed? That's what creation's saying. Man, that's beautiful. Amber waves of grain blowing. Purple mountains, Right? They're saying, Ellie, be salty, bright, and aromatic so that those who don't know me yet will come to know me through you sowing. Man, that is is beautiful, beautiful. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. His name was Adam. Creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that changes that whole passage, doesn't it? It's not just about our little internal groan. We're joining a creation that's saying, please do what you're supposed to be doing, people of God. And we can start right here as the people of God, committing to, praying, your kingdom come. What will God do a people, with the people that are pining for his kingdom to come? What will God do with the people that are pining for his kingdom to come? Let's pray. Lord, we pray simply burdened, groaning together for your kingdom to come. Lord, we pray that those who don't know you will come to know you. Lord, we pray that those we work with, those that we run with, those we live near, those that we do life with in our community who think they have a relationship with you because of some event decades ago, Lord we pray that you will draw these people to you. Lord we pray that the rule that your rule will break into their hearts. And Lord, we pray that in that request that you will change us to be part of this work, that you'll give us words, that you'll give us eyes for those opportunities, that you'll give us ears to hear those occasions, where we can speak in with good seed, the same seed that's won the saints and given life to the dead for 2,000 years. Lord. Do this in us. Please, Lord, guard us from swapping members. Guard us from counting growth as just being the most popular place in town that has all the existing Christians. Burden us for this field that's white that surrounds us. Burden us with why we're actually here. And do all this, Lord for your own glory, for your kingdom. And so we'll be one day closer to the return of Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to encourage you to go ahead and grab your, uh, your supper uh, little kit if you've got that. If you don't, I'll give you a minute to, um, to grab that. It's on the table as you came in. I'm going to share a passage from Matthew chapter 24. For our supper. Matthew 24, 14. Jesus is speaking about the ends of the age. The the signs of the end of the age. And he says in verse 14, he says, This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. There's actually a term for this passage. It's called commission completion. This right here is what creation's groaning and cheering for. That the sons will be revealed. Okay, that all nations will be reached. That the Khweri people will be reached. You have 0.00 believers right now. So then Jesus will come back. Y'all realize we're living in a fallen world, right? You know, we're not living in the place we're going to spend eternity. Creation knows that. Do you? Creation's pining for the revelation of the sons of God, so the creation can be redeemed and reshaped and remade into this new heavens and new earth where we'll spend eternity. Creation's pining for that. Creation's pining for this passage right here, that we would pine for people who don't know Him, nations who don't know Him, neighbors who don't know Him, workmates who don't, don't know Him, those who don't know him, who have yet to know him, sheep as yet undiscovered will be discovered. And when that happens, guess what happens next? Jesus comes back. There's no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more struggles, no more coronavirus, no more failing, frailing bodies, frail, failing bodies. No more discord, no more darkness, no more sin. That's what we're supposed to be pining for, people. And that's the work we're supposed to be about. Inviting in pining for his return. As we take this supper today, my encouragement to you is just to commit to pray. In the coming days and weeks, your kingdom come. To actually do what we're talking about today. Really simple. Incorporate that into your prayers. And ask him, Lord, show me too how to amplify that. How to make that personal with names. Workmates. Workmates friends, people we run with, how we can connect to people that don't know him, and that this supper would be nourishment, calories for that work, right? That this supper would sustain us in that work. So as we take this supper together, let's prayerfully ask him to work that in us, that these would be good calories. Let's take an knee. Let's pray that this venture as we are sowing the seed of the kingdom. As we are going into these circumstances and places and occasions where we can speak. Where we can be good stewards with a life-giving message, life-giving word. That this will be our nourishment, the body and blood of Christ. That we will be feasting on and enjoying the finished work of Christ. Let's take and drink in faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this nourishment. We need the nourishment of worship. We need the nourishment of faith, ongoing, walking with Christ, feasting on him daily, enjoying him. Lord, we're thankful for this supper that you've given us, that gives us the calories um, that we need to do the work. Lord, we pray that that will be our fuel and our fuel alone. I am praying these things in Christ's name.